0: In November of 2017, the University of Connecticut College Republicans invited far-right speaker Lucian Wintrick to Storrs for a talk entitled It's Okay to be White. It ended with two arrests and added another set of news stories and think pieces to the continuing discussion about free speech and college campuses. Statements were issued. From Susan Herbst, the president of the university.
1: As we all by now have seen, Tuesday's event did not go well. Some audience members jeered for the duration of the event. Wintrich continually had exchanges with individuals in the audience. The evening ended with the speaker appearing to physically accost a woman who had taken his notes. Following that, he was arrested by the Yukon police. Later, a window was shattered and a smoke bomb was set off. A student was arrested for breaking the window. It remains unknown who set off the smoke bomb, but police are investigating.
0: University policies were reviewed.
1: Next week, I will assemble a group of UConn faculty, staff, and students and ask them to conceive of an effective strategy to further enhance a climate at UConn that fosters healthy argument, debate, and discussion on our campuses, even if it comes at a financial cost during these very difficult budget times.
0: And then university policies were changed.
1: I've asked the Division of Student Affairs to prepare new guidelines for speakers and events sponsored by UConn student groups that may present a risk to the campus community. These changes which will be implemented... And UConn students
0: were forced to wrestle with some very big ideas. Free speech, diversity, inclusion... I'm Danielle Chalou, and this week on Live and Learn, we're tackling a big idea. A right that is fundamental to American society and governance, a right that is part of the First Amendment, free speech, and how it relates to higher education. In this piece, you'll hear from UConn President Susan Herbst, lawyer, civil rights scholar, and CEO of the Phi Beta Kappa Society, Fred Lawrence, and Fred Lee. Assistant Professor of Political Science and Asian-Asian American Studies, as well as UConn students Christopher Zins, Joseph Gotti, Kavi Kachugam, and Serena Bhargava. For the background and legal context, here's my conversation with Fred Lawrence, the Civil Rights Scholar. If you could give a basic overview of what is speech, how is it defined?
2: Well, I usually use the term expression, not speech, because I think... That expression is the, is the broader term, although the Constitution certainly says speech, for both normative purposes and even for the Constitution as interpreted, it means expressive activity, uh, ways in which people uh, are engaged in that most fundamental of human activities of expressing themselves uh, in order to communicate uh, with others and to actualize themselves out into the world.
0: And why is that important? to protect the freedom of expressive activity?
2: There are several strands of uh, thought that uh, to look at this, but let me sort of gather them together in two main categories. Uh, one is a consequentialist uh, theory that we could trace back to people like Oliver Wendell Holmes, that we think we will get the best ideas in a society by having a free and open discussion, and that through that debate, the so-called marketplace of ideas will reach the best discussion, that if we repress expression and we repress speech, Um, that we will skew that marketplace of ideas and therefore get worse outcomes. Uh, I myself am drawn more to a deontological approach, uh, which we could trace back to people like uh, Louis Brandeis, uh, where the the idea is less what the consequences of the speech are, um, although that may be true as well, but rather the, the real goal here is that the essential nature of human freedom is based in our ability to express ourselves in terms of how do we, you know, what what is it that makes us human? What is our ultimate humanity? It is about how we uh, think, feel, uh, and express those thoughts and those feelings as we uh, actualize ourselves, and as we interact with other individuals and with local and national and international communities.
0: And so to that extent, what are the limitations on freedom of expression? And what are things that aren't Permitted
2: some of what I'm gonna say I think is broader normative argument. We as human beings if you notice everything I said up until now was was quite uh, You know trans contextual and then there's the American context, which is uh, Which has its own? particularity to it so within certainly within the American context the court has established what it would call a Categorical approach to First Amendment jurisprudence. There are certain categories of speech that are not or expression that are not protected they include things like fighting words, actual threats, obscenity, defamation. And, and if you go a little bit further, there are other categories of words that are not protected if they include things like conspiracy or treason. Those are crimes that could take the form solely of, of expressive activity or words. All of those categories, we would say, are, are not not protected.
0: And where is the line between sitting in a room and talking about to rob a bank, you know, you should wear a mask. And where does it fall into, okay, now it's conspiracy?
2: Well, you know, you can. this is an interesting place where criminal law doctrine and free expression jurisprudence actually line up pretty closely. Uh, so what, what I've said in my own thinking and writing on this is that what we should focus on is the mental state of the actor. The law Latin for that is mens rea. In order to have a crime, uh, you require both mens rea and actus reus, the act. You need a mental state and you need an act. So if you know that somebody has committed a act that causes a harm normally associated with a crime, you don't yet know if a crime has been committed until you know what the mental state of the actor is. So take a simple example. If I tell you that somebody takes a bat and hits somebody else in the head, swings the bat intentionally, and hits somebody in the head very hard, causing severe injuries. You still don't know whether that's attempted murder all the way down to no crime at all because you need to know what was in the mind of the actor. If, in fact, the actor was swinging that bat because she was playing softball and the person who got whacked in the head was the catcher standing a little too close to her, then obviously you don't have a crime. You have it worst an accident of some kind. And all I've varied, right? I haven't varied the shape of the bat. I haven't varied the severity of the injury. Uh, all I've varied is the mental state of the actor. And, and by varying the mental state of the actor I could take it from no crime at all up to attempted murder or assault with a deadly weapon so so the mental state of the actor is critical in criminal law for determining the severity of a crime or whether there's a crime at all similarly I would say in the expressive area uh, what is the intent of the people as they sit around and they talk so if their intent is to is to plan uh, a a Criminal enterprise, and they take overt steps in that direction. So they're not just ruminating about it, but they're beginning to take overt steps. That becomes a conspiracy. If it, if the intent is to, is to talk about this, then, then, then it wouldn't be. So let, let's take better examples than, than the criminal area. To take a particularly graphic example, but it's one that the Supreme Court has dealt with not long ago. When would burning across be protected activity, and when would it be criminal activity? Um, I think it turns entirely on the mental state of the actor. If there are members of the Ku Klux Klan who are burning a cross at the end of one of their rallies, um, they are engaged in expressive activity. It happens to be an expression that I find abhorrent. Uh, My guess is that you find it abhorrent as well. Nonetheless, it is expressive activity of white supremacy, and in a free and open society, they're allowed to express their endorsement of white supremacy ideology. On the other hand, if that cross is burned across the street from an African-American family with the intent to terrorize them, to cause fear in that family, then we've done something entirely different. So again, by varying the intent of the actor, is the intent to communicate or is the intent to threaten?
0: When the discussion of free expression comes to colleges and universities, what's the implication of having a public versus private institution dealing with these questions? It's a
2: great question. And I would say the distinction between public and private is substantively turns out to be very little, if any. It's a big distinction in terms of how you get there. Because if you're talking about a public institution, <clears throat> the Constitution does uh, expressly apply. So then you're talking in terms of First Amendment and you can cite First Amendment jurisprudence in United States Supreme Court cases interpreting the First Amendment. We're talking about a private college, a private university, the Constitution does not apply, uh, but those schools are bound by their own rules of uh, open inquiry, free inquiry, free expression that are essential to the nature of uh, liberal arts and sciences and humanities and the entire nature of education. You you can't imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't imagine a university uh, functioning as a as a serious place of thought and inquiry if people aren't allowed to express themselves. So there's a convergence between the normative, educational, philosophical argument that would apply in private schools and First Amendment jurisprudence that would apply in in the public school context. You know, that said, um, there is probably certain flexibility that private schools have that public schools don't, uh, because in the public square um, there's an overwhelming presumption in favor of free expression. You can imagine a private school saying um, on our campus certain kinds of speech. Uh, will not be permitted. But I think every time private schools have done that, they wind up getting themselves in trouble, not constitutionally, but philosophically with their own basic principles.
0: And that's the tension at the core of this discussion, as summarized in the statement from
1: President Herbst. The core principles of our institution are rooted in intellectual pursuits based on reason, thoughtful debate, and free and open argument. No aspect of what took place on Tuesday reflected this. Why would a university allow someone like Lucian Rintrich to speak on a campus at all? Because free speech is rooted in the First Amendment and is vital to our democracy. Our nation was founded on it, and it is by challenging those we disagree with in a free and open environment that falsehoods can be answered with truth and right can defeat wrong for all to see and hear.
0: But there are paradoxes in play. Here's Professor Fred Lee.
3: Neither speech nor inclusion is an absolute value. If they were absolute values, what we'd have is Trump's. Speech trumps inclusion or inclusion trumps speech. The very fact that we're talking about detention and a balancing act already shows us that neither value is absolute. Now, if neither value is absolute, What that means is both inclusion and speech have to have limits there has to be a line there has to be a limit to the kinds of difference we will accept there has to be a limit to pluralism there have to be certain things that are just considered unacceptable things we cannot tolerate and things that are legitimately excluded if there is a real consensus around those values of diversity inclusion and pluralism and you can you can think about this in a very simple way how far can you tolerate intolerance right how much freedom should people who don't value freedom have can we really support a difference when the difference consists in driving towards sameness right so these are the, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about limits and you run into these paradoxes here well how far can you go Right. How
0: do you incl- so if you're excluding someone from the mainstream? Right. For having exclusionary ideas. Yes,
4: yes,
3: that's that's the paradox, and 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 human being is human being is not neutral. Uh, or sorry, at least on my idea, human beings have values and commitments, and you can try and get a little distance from that, but there's no valueless and commitments commitment uncommitted position from which you could, from above, from a God's eye view, decide these questions.
0: By including Wintrick in the on-campus dialogue in November, the college Republicans had expectations. Here's Christopher Zins on his hopes for the event.
4: Personally speaking, I attended the event to really see what argument he could present because I didn't agree with a lot of what he had to say at all. In fact, I think a lot of people who I personally know attended just to hear what he had to say. Uh, the way Tim Sullivan, the President of the College Republicans, phrased it at the beginning is about half the event was going to be devoted to Q&A, to a debate, and to a discourse. And they really wanted, if someone didn't agree with him, to stand up and to challenge him for half of the event. And I think that that would have been the best medium for engaging this topic. And truly showing where his ideas didn't have merit. Someone could have sat there taking notes, debating with their friends already, and gone up and asked him anything that they didn't agree with instead of simply preventing him from speaking in the first place. In the long run, it would have been recorded, it could have been played over, and it could actually have been spread to a much larger audience instead of simply making UConn look like a over-the-top university that's going to react violently to anything that they don't agree with.
0: UConn's adjusted student organization policies for invited speakers were implemented in January, when the college Republicans hosted conservative speaker Ben Shapiro. Here's Kavya Kachugam's perspective. So Ben Shapiro's coming to campus, and how do you feel about that?
5: Well, if I thought it was going to be an intellectual exchange of ideas, I would attend. But because I know that there isn't a capacity for that because of the current climate and everybody has so much anger, I know that there's no space for me to have a voice. So I'm not going to go.
0: And what would you say if there was that space?
5: Honestly, I think I just want to hear what he has to say and then ask him questions to understand where he's coming from and try and get him to understand where I'm coming from as someone who does support minorities and does support feminism and does support, like, liberals and more of a liberal way of thinking so I would just want to ask questions and then hopefully have him also ask questions and have like an actual engaged dialogue rather than a screaming mess.
0: As Professor Lee explains, freedom of expression is valuable because it results in stronger and more valid ideas.
3: In academia, the idea has traditionally been you need debate to figure out what is true or more valid. You've got to have people who uh, hold one position. And you've got to have people who genuinely disagree with that position to level the strongest possible objections in order to test the validity of the original position. Through this process of debate, we're supposed to uh, sharpen the original position if it happens to be true, or we're supposed to discard the original position if it happens to be false, if it turns out to be demonstrably false debate, and intellectual debate, and rational debate, leads to more valid knowledge. I think there's a different justification for political life, deliberation in a liberal democratic society, and the assumption is that if people argue for and against this proposal, and the idea is through the process of debate, hopefully a consensus will emerge, and that the final decision will be agreed upon by everyone. But of course, that's a little bit utopian. Or, in a more realistic case, that even if not everyone agrees to the final outcome of the deliberation, that everyone can at least understand why somebody would agree with that outcome. That the reasons are considered legitimate. Hey, I disagree, but I can see why you would hold that. And the understanding here is decisions that go through that process of deliberation are more legitimate. So if in the, in, the, in the intellectual justification, the idea is the knowledge is more valid, in the political justification, the decisions are more legitimate. They're more politically valid.
0: What's the value of that discussion and deliberation and debate?
3: It's a testing process. And it's also a procedure for giving us confidence in the outcome. The testing of the proposal, whether the proposal is intellectual or a policy proposal, is supposed to give us greater confidence in what results from the debate or the deliberation.
0: In the past 150 years, American society has changed significantly. American citizenship has been extended beyond white men who own property to include Catholics, women, and people of color. The inclusion of oppressed groups into civil society is not easy. Colleges and universities must balance protecting the learning experience of all students and protecting freedom of expression and civil discourse. Freedom of expression allows for an open debate to generate better ideas, and on campus Safe spaces can help this development if the classroom is a place for scholarly exploration, civil debate, reasoned discussion, and making mistakes. If the classroom is open for asking difficult questions and challenging prevailing explanations, rather than a place where students fear punishment for expressing certain views. Here's Serena Bargava.
6: Lucy and Wintrich talk um, and how people got really offended by what he had to say and I was offended too. I didn't think it was a very productive conversation, wasn't a very productive speech, but at the same time I didn't think it was appropriate that students were kind of stooping to his level and chasing after his car and doing all of that because if we want to be better than somebody we need to act that way and the way that UConn represented itself at that time, I was actually kind of embarrassed to be a student here because I didn't think it was representative of everything that I've learned about this campus and everything that I love about this campus. And what are those things that you've learned and that you love? I mean, the people here are really great and I've had really, really great discussions with them. I've shared some of my, you know, most personal viewpoints with them. But at that point, even though I didn't agree with Lucy Wintrich. Just knowing that the campus could react like that to somebody, it made me scared to be here and made me scared to say things that I might actually feel in the future.
0: So how are students, as growing leaders, as engaged citizens, as the future change makers of the world, supposed to navigate the tensions between diversity, inclusion, and free speech? Here's some food for thought from Joe Gotti.
3: Um, these are discussions that we want to have. We don't want to just have fights with people. And this is our home, UConn, and we want to be able to show everyone that, yeah, these are our ideas and those are your ideas, but let's discuss what we are and not see each other as just each other's enemies. Let's see why so many people in this country have these views and maybe we could find common ground on certain issues.
0: To kind of, so Chris, from your standpoint, as an RA, one of the things, and Yukon and in general, also exposes the idea of inclusivity and tolerance. As students, how do you see balancing, exploring all of these ideas and including people who, met, who have historically been excluded from the dialogue?
4: So I really think that this is, once again, from the RA role, a major, major, major component of the discussion here that a lot of people are discussing these topics for the first time when you get to college. And when you have your identity, what you believe to be yourself questioned, even slightly, myself as a firearms owner, having someone question why I own a gun, why I would want to hunt, you know, it's, it's a jarring experience at first. It's something that no one wants to do, that we're happy and we exist in our own own realities. And that applies to every identity we have
0: as students come in and there's all different ranges of exposure to these ideas, to having their identities questioned, is there a way that the university can support that personal development process? Joe, do you wanna start?
3: Sure, I'll start by uh, quoting one of my favorite philosophers, Socrates here. He one time said, the unexamined life was not worth living. What he was talking about was that people should be able to examine everything they do and have an understanding for why.
0: From my conversation with Fred Lawrence, how as an educator would you counsel students on, okay, the world is happening very, very quickly and, and may not be saying nice things all the time. How do you deal with that? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, no, it does make sense. Um, I think part of it is you also make clear what, that the university is there to, to support you. The university will not let somebody threaten you. Um, They will not let somebody harm you, but they will let somebody disagree with you and they will let somebody ask really hard questions and challenge your deepest beliefs and confound you. Um, That's part of what it means to be at a university. And you know, one of the things uh, that I I said one time, and some students took it the wrong way, but I said, we're not here to protect you from the world, we're here to prepare you for the world. And some students felt you know, that, uh, that they wanted to be protected. Well, I, I'm sympathetic with that, but protected in the sense of no one can threaten you, correct? But protected from the realities of the world? No, that's not what college is for. It is to prepare you for the realities of the world. You know, keep, keep in mind who we're talking about here, right? We're, we're, we're really not talking about a cross-section of the entire society. We're talking about young people who are privileged to be at a school of the caliber of University of Connecticut. Uh, and with those privileges come great responsibilities. You have a role to, to play in the world and to take all those positions about which you care deeply and to actualize them out into the world. This is the mirror image of what I said at the beginning about that right that you have to actualize yourself as a human being. That's what it means to be a human being, to express yourself. Uh, I'll flip that around now and say, in many cases, it's not just a right, but it's a moral responsibility to exercise that right.
0: Here's Fred Lee.
3: There are tendencies, and then there are things that we can do to change the tendency and the direction. So when I say too soon to say, I'm also saying too soon to say because it depends on us.
0: And from my conversation with Kavya Kachugam. It's an easy line to draw, but it's also like...
5: A hard question to answer.
0: A hard question to answer. (laughs)
5: Because if there was an answer, we wouldn't be dealing with this problem at all. Right. But I think communication and dialogue and being open to, like having an open mind to other people's ideas, whether you are conservative or liberal or somewhere in the middle or wherever you stand, that's a starting place for it.
0: I think we should all do more listening.
5: Yes, I agree.
0: This has been a special episode of Live and Learn, a production of the Honors Program at the University of Connecticut. I'm Danielle Shallou. Thank you to Susan Herbst, Fred Lawrence, Fred Lee, Christopher Zins, Joseph Gotti, Kavi Khachogam, and Serena Bargava, as well as Jason McMullen and the entire Programming and Events team. Special thanks to Erwin Chemerinsky and Howard Gilman, the authors of Free Speech on Campus, this production uses Dramamine and Jetsum from Poddington Bear and Soundofpicture.com. For previous episodes, visit honorsyukonedu slash podcast.